Welcome to the Main Street Morsels podcast, sponsored by Main Street Pediatrics, located in Parker, Colorado, off of E-470 and Parker Road. Good afternoon. Welcome to Main Street Morsels from Main Street Pediatrics. My name is Lori Phipps. I'm the owner of Main Street Pediatrics, located in Parker, Colorado. And today we have a really relevant and important topic to talk about. Um, what do we do when our children are sick? Um, and with me today, I have Kayla Fergus from our office, um, and she brings her expertise to share with us today about this very important topic, certainly this time of year, right? Yeah. It's been, yeah. I think in my recollection, this has been one of the worst winters or sick seasons um, that we've had in a really long time. Yeah, I agree. So let's start with one of the most important questions I think parents are going to have, and that's about RSV. Mm -hmm. um, what is RSV, and why is it something that has been so awful this year? Yeah. Um, talk about some of the symptoms, what parents should watch for. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So RSV is not a new virus that we're seeing. However, unfortunately this year we're seeing a huge increase in numbers compared to the previous years. So I think that's part of why there's been, you know, a lot of it in the media, concern for hospitals being really full is because unfortunately the prevalence has just taken off. We're yeah. seeing over double the numbers yeah. in Colorado than we had last year of yeah. RSV. So the good news is, you know, we have a lot of experience with it because it's not new, but the bad news is it's really spreading around and, and making its way around the communities. Yeah. Um, so with RSV, we can get essentially a variety of presentations with the common symptoms. So typically with our adults or older children, we see it present more as what we call an upper respiratory tract infection. So we're getting kind of the runny nose, the coughing, the congestion, more upper airway symptoms, which in general are pretty manageable from home. You know, like a bad cold. Exactly. But unfortunately in our younger kiddos, especially the really young ones, like under two, we can see more of the lower respiratory tract infection where the virus is taking effect in the lungs. So yeah. that's when we really wanna get some eyes and ears on the baby. So potential symptoms that we could be seeing at that time for parents to look out for are gonna be any signs of increased work of breathing. So maybe it's really rapid, shallow breathing that they're seeing. Maybe it's deep abdominal breathing where their tummy's getting sucked under their ribs with each breath. Maybe noisy breathing, kind of wheezy sounds that they're hearing. All of those to me tell me that our kiddo is just working way too hard to do really a normal physiologic function, breathe. Right, right. right. So if we're seeing any of those signs, if we're concerned at all, then either A, if it's really bad, they need to go to the emergency room, that kiddo right. needs to be seen, or B, if we think, oh, they're just starting, I want to get them looked at, call the clinic, let's get them in same day, let's take a look, get some ears, some eyes on that kiddo, right. and see if there's anything we can do to help. I think this time of year when we see so many respiratory illnesses and you know for some people we call this respiratory season right and because mm -hmm. um, it's the common cold and it's you know this plethora of other viruses but this virus because like you said it attacks that lower airway um, and it causes so much inflammation so the littler your airways the worse the symptoms are going to be mm -hmm. and so you know their breathing is going to be affected but one of the things parents may notice first is that their child is breathing so hard they can't drink, they can't eat, they're not playing. So it's 
it's this respiratory component, right? But it's so severe that they can't do the things like a normal baby would do. So I think yeah. that's something parents should keep in mind too. Absolutely, I agree. What's the treatment for RSV? Like, is it antibiotics? Is it antiviral like we have for COVID? Mm-hmm. Um, NEP treatments, like what's, what are we treating this with? Yeah, so with RSV, unfortunately as a viral illness, it's not gonna be responsive to antibiotics. So that's never a treatment for, for this illness. Um, how we treat it is gonna kinda depend on symptoms, but in general, we definitely wanna try to keep that airway clear. So any mucus moving through there, we wanna try to get out. So maybe that means we're doing some nasal saline a few times a day. Maybe depending on age, we might do some nasal suctioning once or twice a day. Um, potentially, we need some respiratory support that's a little bit more severe than that. So um, in the clinic, we assess for would potentially an inhaler or a nebulizer treatment be helpful with RSV? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. 50-50. Yeah, so oftentimes you'll see us, you know, we'll give it a try, we'll take a listen to the lungs afterwards, see if that was effective. And unfortunately, there are also cases where some kiddos need some oxygen support, which is when we're talking about going to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the scary part, right? And Mm -hmm. um, the inflammation can be so severe that they're not able to get the oxygen from their lungs into their bloodstream. So, yeah, it's definitely a serious illness. Um, What are ways to prevent this? I mean... Mm -hmm. Do we go back to putting masks on or what? Yeah, yeah. So really our best method of prevention is pretty old school. We're still talking about hand hygiene, you know, good hand washing, making sure we're washing our hands when we're going to new places, before we're eating anything, putting anything near our face, uh, wiping down surfaces in the household, so the doorknobs, the sink handles, the toilet flushers, any time people come and go, trying to wipe down surfaces that are frequently used and touched. And then really masks have been shown to be effective yeah. unfortunately i know yeah. it's it's it feels a little burnt out yeah. but they yeah. definitely help prevent the spread of viruses yeah. like rsv i know people come into our office and everyone's still wearing masks and everyone i mean the employees staff um and you know there's kind of this like oh do i gotta wear a mask coming into your clinic and you know we're not forcing anybody but you're right i mean we need to keep our employees healthy too and prevent the spread from one child to the next child because this is a pretty darn contagious virus, right? So you hit the nail on the head, really washing those surfaces um, because this this virus can stick around on your purse and your hands and your clothing um, and you may just inadvertently, you know, either get sick yourself or pass it on to someone else. Yeah, exactly. What are other you know, flu's going on right now and COVID. Um, Is there anything different um, to watch out for with these? Um, Is it any specific treatments? Yeah, so we are also seeing, yes, spikes in other viruses right now, unfortunately. We've had a lot of positive flu cases. Now, when it comes to flu treatment, again, that's going to depend on when did we find out that we were flu positive. It's going to be a discussion with the provider. But if we're in the window of maybe 24 to 48 hours of symptom onset, potentially we do have the option of, it's called Tamiflu. So that's our antiviral flu treatment, which has some pros and cons. 
cons, yeah. I would say benefit-wise, I mean, it can prevent secondary complications from the flu, and it can shorten the course of the flu illness, which yeah. is great. Um, at the same time, it is an antiviral. It can be a little tough on the belly for younger kiddos. Yeah. So that's why we need to take into consideration, you know, the whole picture. Right. You know, is this going to be helpful? Right. But in terms of other treatment for the flu, we're still doing our symptomatic, targeted care, treating the symptoms, trying to be as comfortable as we can. So lots of rest, lots of fluids. Yeah. Tylenol, ibuprofen as needed. Right. Now, when it comes to fevers, we, of course, again, need to look at the whole picture. You right. know, if, if we're 101 degrees, but kiddos eating, having good energy, maybe we can kind of ride that out. Maybe we don't need to immediately get Tylenol or ibuprofen on board. Right, right. But if we're seeing that because they have this fever, they're just really sleepy, they don't want to eat, they don't want to drink, let's get some Tylenol or ibuprofen, see if that helps their demeanor, gets them a little more comfortable so that we can do that supportive care for them. And you brought up a good topic of fever, right? That's kind of this thing that a lot of parents worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, I get it, I understand it. Um, but I think, you know, their child, you know, they'll call at night or during the day and say, Jimmy's fever is 103. Is that going to cause brain damage? Or So you talked about that a little bit. You know, it's not so much the height of the fever, it's really how that child is acting mm-hmm. um, and if they're eating, if they're drinking, um, or they're interested in like the normal things they're interested in. I think those are all reassuring signs that the fever's okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's wrong to give Tylenol or ibuprofen just to make them more comfortable mm-hmm. um, because I know how I feel when I have a fever. I feel crappy, yeah. right? And so anything to help bring that down I think is not a bad thing Um, but you know like you said hydration is so important and probably more important than Tylenol or ibuprofen at some times is there ever a fever that's like holy cow they're gonna have brain damage I need to go to the hospital what do you think about that so again yeah I try really hard not to just look directly at the number of the fever if I do tell parents if you're really wanting a number for me to give you 106 is my threshold for least give me a call. Let's see what's going on. Okay. Um, but potentially, I may send you to the hospital. Um, but still, need to look at the whole picture. Have we tried Tylenol or ibuprofen? Yeah. Um, you know, how is the kid acting? Are right. we hydrated? What else is going on? Are we having severe ear pain? Are we right. having difficulty breathing? Right. All of those are going to be important pieces to the puzzle. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things I've heard on the news is strep, um, that it's been really pretty awful this year, and two children have died in Colorado from that. Um, what is strep, um, strep throat? What is mm-hmm. that? Is that a virus too? Is there any treatment for it? And what are the signs of that? Yeah. Symptoms. Yeah, again, adding to the brutality of this yeah. you know, winter season, we have seen an increased number in strep throat kiddos which strep is essentially a bacteria, and unfortunately, it can be pretty contagious in spreading around the schools, the daycares, and whatnot. So we're seeing it kind of take off. Um, The good news is there is a treatment for it. So we certainly can treat strep with antibiotics. 
the pictures of strep present a little bit differently than these viral illnesses. So typically with strep, you're not seeing those upper respiratory symptoms of runny nose, congestion, lots of mucus in there. Not to say that it's impossible, because maybe what if we have a virus and strep, right? Right. right. Um, so not can't always rule it out. But in general, with strep throat, we're looking at we've got the sore throat, maybe a dry cough, but more often headache, fatigue, maybe some stomach pain, yeah. nausea, vomiting. Those, to me, that picture says we need to do a test and yeah. see. Do these kids typically have fevers, too? Yes, sometimes yeah. they can have fevers as well. What's the test for strep throat? So it is a swab. It looks kind of like a Q-tip, and we swab the back of the tonsils or the throat if they don't have tonsils. Um, and it's pretty quick. It takes about five minutes to get the result, um, which is nice. So we can always try to get you into the clinic and do a quick test, and that way we know if we need to get antibiotics started. But definitely, yeah, strep can have some complications. So if we're concerned about it, it's good to get them in, get tested, and get treatment started. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the consequences of untreated strep are uh, rheumatic heart disease or even kidney problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is easily treated with amoxicillin. Um, and usually kids within 12 hours of being treated feel so much better. And in fact, 12 hours after their first dose of antibiotics, older kids can go back to school. Um, so it's definitely something to treat quickly Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's wash your hands, cover your mouth, try to, you know, maybe everyone's feeling very relaxed that masks are off, but I do think it's important to still remember, you know, don't spread your boogers and mucus mm-hmm. and germs everywhere. Yeah, yeah wash your hands absolutely. and cover your mouth. So yeah. um, another thing we see this time of year are gastrointestinal illnesses. Um, And vomiting and diarrhea can definitely be something that is upsetting, A, for the child, but for the parents. um, Tell us a little bit about, you know, this common GI bugs, the vomiting and diarrhea. Um, How do we treat that? What to watch for? Um, And what advice do you typically give to parents about this? Yeah, so again, unfortunately, these viruses, they can live on surfaces, so very spreadable, especially amongst daycares where, you know, kiddos are sharing toys, they're putting everything into their mouth, so things just get picked up pretty easily. But presentation-wise, we can see vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, and in terms of how long it's going to last, variety. It can be maybe 24 hours. Sometimes we're looking at a full week of these symptoms, yeah. which I agree can be very, very miserable, hard to see your kid going yeah. through that. Um, our biggest fighter for that is going to be hydration. So yeah. they're losing a lot of fluids, both through the diarrhea, through the vomiting. So we want to make sure we're doing small amounts of fluids very often throughout the day. I obviously don't want to you know, overload them with a big eight-ounce cup and then they vomit it back up. Right. But if we can get little bits in throughout the day to make sure that we're still having good urine output, ideally peeing at least once every six to eight hours is my goal, my bare minimum for assessing hydration status. Um, Things to look out for, however, that to me would say maybe there's something else going on versus a virus. Is there any blood in the stool? Is there any mucus in the stool? Is the child in so much abdominal pain that they're curled over, they can't move, they don't want to do anything? Um, Same thing with vomiting. Are we seeing any blood in there? If so, definitely need to let us know so we can investigate further. What kind of fluids should they be drinking? And 
especially for babies that are either breastfed or taking formula, um, you know, is is formula going to make them throw up more? Um, what about breast milk? What like what's a good fluid for them to take? Mm-hmm. Um, and then. If we're not giving them formula, are we worried about their nutrition? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so typically when we have these GI bugs, you'll hear us with older kids say clear fluids. We want to do clear liquids. Um, so with babies, yeah, we, we definitely can see that question of is this going to be upsetting on the tummy? Is this formula too thick? That kind of yeah. stuff. So Pedialyte is a great option, perfectly safe to give our younger kiddos. Um, again, I still would do small amounts throughout the day. Um, Nutrition-wise, it kind of depends on how long we're having these symptoms. You know, if we have seen the kiddo in clinic and we feel like, yeah, they're getting some fluids but needing a little bit more nourishment, sometimes we can consider maybe we need to do a little anti-nausea medicine to help keep some of that formula or breast milk down. It's going to be more of a case-by-case basis and how long we've had these symptoms and if the provider sees that there is a concern for, for that nutrition or hydration deficit. So in the short term, we don't worry about nutrition. We worry about hydration. Mm-hmm. Um, and clear liquids, you mentioned Pedialyte. And now I think there's probably like 2,000 different electrolyte solutions, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think some families will go towards Gatorade, um, which is really very high in sugar and maybe not as good. So I agree, doing Pedialyte is good. doesn't taste the best, but it's probably the, it's got some electrolytes, it's easily absorbed. Um, and again, it's just for a short term. Yeah. And then I, I like that you said there's an option of having an anti-nausea medication such as Zofran, because mm-hmm. um, even little children can have that. Um, you know, if we can't keep on top of the hydration because that's key, um, definitely some Zofran might might be yeah. something that's helpful and kind of get them over that hump. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining us. I think we covered mm-hmm. some really great topics and I hope this respiratory season gets over with quickly. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody does. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us again. Um, I think this was a great um, episode of Main Street Morsels, and we'll see you again soon.